Good morning, Westside. My name is Jerry, and today we'll be reading from Matthew 13, 10 through 17. If you are using our Pew Bibles, it's on page 907, and I'll give you a moment to get there. Once you get there, say, Thy kingdom come. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have had an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hey, good morning, Westside. How are you feeling today? Good. Hey, it is so good to see so many familiar faces, returning faces, and if you are new to Westside or you're just visiting because what we have on the agenda today, we want to say welcome. It is an incredible honor just to be able to worship with you for a little bit, right? It's just a little bit. It's not the whole day, okay? So if you're like, how long is this church service go? Don't worry. It'll be, it'll be over before you know it, as they say. So, but again, we're really excited just for what we're going to do today. Obviously, as you've already been experiencing, we had a time of worship, so we sing song and praises to God. Um, but we're also going to be doing baptisms. And so this is my little plug here. If you are here for baptisms, we do have it after the message. Um, so we got you for a little while, um, but we're really excited. So far, to my understanding, if I count correctly, which should be correct, but maybe not, is 11 people um, today, which it's, it's one thing to do a baptism as a pastor, I'm not going to lie, but when, you know, every Wednesday or the Wednesday before our baptism class, we usually will have a class about what is baptism, and it's really cool when the parents want to be involved in the baptism. And so it's just a really cool honor just to be able to share that with certain families in the church, and what we're doing to, together as a church today is proclaiming even our own baptism if we are baptized. And so what I would like to do is um, I wanted to start with a moment uh, in prayer, if we could, if we are starting a new series, and we've got a lot going on, but I don't want that to get lost in translation of what we are doing Today And so uh, we approach this thing called God's Word, and I just want to open up in prayer as we begin to approach this Word and we begin a topic that I think many of us in this room have heard about before. And so I'm going to ask for the Lord's help to maybe share with us something new or fresh um, that we desperately, I think, need today to hear. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, what an honor it is to gather amongst your people. And Lord, we know there's a bunch of other churches there's a bunch of other things that we have on the agenda, but Lord, we are in just awe of what you're doing among us, what you're doing among families, what you're doing among friendships. Lord, we just say thank you, and we honor you, and we give you just a moment to calm our hearts as we want to rush 
But today, Lord, I'm praying for my spirit to hush, that you would calm our inner beings, that you would search us because you know us. And Lord, I pray that just like with Isaiah, that we would know that the word is the power, not the preacher, not the worship. Your word is the power. As Isaiah 55 says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. May it be so. In Jesus' mighty name, and we all pray. Amen. Amen. Again, we are really excited. Uh, just, I know everyone says that at church, right? You just got to be excited to go to church. But if you're not excited, I'm going to say you're not excited yet. Um, because today's topic is a new series called Kingdom Come. And this is a series that we're going to be in for about two to three months. And so if you're a visitor to Westside, this is a perfect time for you to get plugged in to start learning with us. Uh, we love the Bible at Westside. That is what we say. Amen. We say it's about, all about Jesus. And so what that being said is, we're going to do a whole series dedicated to the parables of Jesus. And so that's where this series idea comes from, and we're going to be in it for a while. Um, but yeah, just want to kind of give you an idea of where we're going to be at for the next few months. Um, we believe that Jesus' words are very, very important. Um, the idea is if someone ever says something authoritative, it's who said it. Who gave you the authority to say that? So when we approach God's word, it's with his authority. And so we don't take that lightly. Again, I already said this, though. Today's Baptism Sunday. We're starting a new series do you want to do a quick plug here as well. If you are wanting to get plugged into community, okay, if you're like, all right, gospel community mission, what's that all about? What's that community piece about? We kind of understand the gospel, kind of can understand mission. What's the community piece? Obviously, we're involved in our community, but that falls more under our mission. But community is what we're going, doing now. It's called community groups. So as a church, we want you to come and be a part of community groups. This is not some crazy idea that we have. This is where you sit down with other believers and you have dinner and you talk about the Bible. It sounds like a crazy concept, and it might sound new to you. But that's what we're going to do. And so, again, fill out that on your uh, bulletin. There's a little sign-in sheet there, and we'll get you a link where you can fill out an application. Uh, and we only ask for a $5,000 donation. It's okay. It's just an entry-level donation. But, but, no, seriously, fill that out. Throw that in the black offering box, and we would love to get in contact with you about that. So, again, community groups, community groups. We're going to say this. It's the avenue to get connected. It's not a avenue, it's the avenue. So again, hopefully if you've ever been a part of community group, you're really excited for those coming back. Okay, here we go. We're starting in. We're diving into the pool. Do you like puzzles? You like puzzles? Okay. All right, well, here's a question I have for you. What is the most sold puzzle? Don't worry, this is crowd participation. How many pieces do you think? A million. A million pieces. A thousand pieces. Who here has put together like a 10,000-piece puzzle before? Show of hands. Are they, are they telling the truth in church? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, yeah, okay, so that's a lot. Okay. Well, here's the thing. is It's kind of a trick question. So, obviously, it's actually a question more of what is the most sold puzzle. And interesting enough, it's this. Do you feel tricked a little bit? I'm sorry. This is a puzzle. Um, this is a mind puzzle. And so that's the idea right now is, again, this is a, the, one of the most sold puzzles ever. Now, you might be thinking, what do you mean by most sold? It is the best-selling toy and is the most sold toy in history. 400 million of these things have been made, and they're still making them, 400 million. Now, I wish I was uh, Pursuit of Happiness, if some of you know the, the movie reference here, and I was Will Smith, and I was able to, 
I can't, okay? So don't think I'm going to show off and try to do it. But I do want to show you guys something really interesting. There is a guy by the name of Max Park. And Max Park is a 20-year-old California native who was declared the new world record holder for doing the 3x3 Rubik's Cube. And what's crazy about this is this guy has literally made a career out of this, by the way. I mean, there's competitions that you can go to. And there's not just the 3x3, there's the 4x4. Uh, and there's even other crazier ones if you're into that sort of thing. But Max, why it's important is, we're talking about puzzles today and the idea of parables. Okay, so Jesus' parables. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. But so far, we're looking at what a puzzle is. And Max can solve the Rubik's Cube. Okay, you ready for this? In three seconds. 3.13 to be exact. And as you can imagine by this person's face, I think we all agree that we're this guy, right? <laughs> Who in here can solve a Rubik's Cube quickly? I'm not going to ask you to, but anybody in here? Okay, he wants to. All right, Gentry, we'll get you. We'll get you. <laughs> we'll put that to the test. But the idea is it's one of those things, it's a puzzle, okay? It's the idea. Puzzles are fun, right? I mean, who doesn't love opening up a good old puzzle, right? Maybe you're with your grandparents or something like that. It was kind of a, a tradition for you. My mom, I know there were some of you that, that we talked about this, that used to make puzzles, and you didn't put the puzzle back in the box once you put it together, right? What'd you do? You put it in a frame, and then you put it up on the wall, and you're like, it's a lot. So it sounds like a cheap picture, but okay. The idea is it's a puzzle. So puzzles are fun, but challenging. And many liken Jesus's parables to that of a puzzle, meaning that once you understand what all the pieces are and where all the pieces go, then you can see the big picture. And so today what we're going to do is obviously we're going to look at what the scriptures say in Matthew about the parables. Now, interesting enough, you might be thinking, ooh, this is a good time for a pastor to interject his theology and his opinions. Here's what's great about the parables, if you don't know this. Jesus himself told us why he tells parables. So we don't have to guess, right? There's no mathematical equation even. So the idea is it's in Matthew 13, and we'll be looking very shortly here in verses 10, as you heard them read a minute ago. I want to give you the big idea today, and that's with a puzzle, because right, it's a mind puzzle. And what I want to do is just give you the big idea, and that's this. You get out what you put in. You get out what you put in. I don't know if you've ever tried to learn an instrument, okay? I remember the first time I tried learning to play the drums. I would argue I'm still learning to play the drums. But the idea was I had no rhythm, y'all. No rhythm whatsoever. And uh, if you don't know this, um, that's kind of a big deal to drumming, if you can't keep a beat. Uh, if so, you're just going to make everyone around you really upset that you can't keep time. But the idea is you get out what you put in. And I remember trying to learn gave up. But then many years later, because I had way more invested at that time of trying to learn music, we were going to play for church. I started putting in the time, putting in the effort. And uh, I wouldn't say it was great by any means, but I started learning to play a trap set, started learning a little bit. I'm by no means... Josh or anyone else that plays drums. So if you play drums, good for you. You're definitely better than me. This is not a competition. But you, the idea, again, is you get out what you put in. And the same idea with Jesus's parables. They seem so simple a child could understand them, yet so complex that humans wonder, adults wonder. And I thought to myself, what an interesting thing that Jesus himself even tells us why he tells the parables. And so what I want to do is just remind you again in verses 10 of chapter 13. This is also Mark 4. He starts talking about this in similar gospel accounts. But it should be highlighted in your Bible, the purpose of the parables. So what's happening right now in Matthew is Jesus gets done telling a parable about the sower and the seeds. And we're actually going to look at that next week more in depth. 
But this week, as an intro, we're going to look at the simple purpose of the parables. And so what I want to do is just remind you of who asked the question. In verse 10, it says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? So you might be asking yourself, Hey, preacher, it'd be really helpful if you would stop and just give a definition, okay? Everyone on the same page there? So where we're going to start today is what are parables? What are parables, okay? Because one idea is, is that Jesus didn't create or invent parables. They weren't invented by Jesus. It was very common for a Jewish rabbi to speak in a parable. Very normal, very, very something that you would expect from someone that has a following. So what is a parable? Parable is essentially two different words. And if you want to know more Greek language, which, again, I am not trying to say that I am the expert in that. I do not know Koine Greek that well at all. And that's even if you say koine or koine, right? You can get in that whole debate. But the idea is parable simply means to throw alongside. So a paralegal works next to a, you get the idea. So it's to throw next to. Jesus will teach profound teachings. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But it's to lay alongside. So he wants to make a truth about the kingdom, we'll, we'll, we'll learn in a minute. But it's a story to lay alongside to help bring clarity maybe to that teaching. Maybe not clarity, but we're going to see more depth to that truth. And so again, what is a parable? It simply means para, parabolos. And so you have para being lay alongside and balo being to throw. A parable is defined something thrown down alongside something else. What is also a parable? Parables are a comparison. Okay? between two things that are alike in some way. Parables are a comparison between two things that are alike in some way. Parables make comparisons that apply to a spiritual truth. Example, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, right? It's, it's like a mustard seed, right? We all love that one. The kingdom of God is like, and then Jesus would introduce a concept. Jesus actually has 40 different parables throughout the synoptic gospels, uh, and there's actually no legit parables that they would classify parables in the book or gospel of John. So just Matthew, Mark, and Luke will be your places to find these parables. But the idea is parables are word pictures. Parables are word pictures. Think about Isaiah 55, what we just read in our opening prayer. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth. Listen, that's a truth. Okay? Do anyone disagree with that truth? That the rain comes, the sun comes? and it, Okay, just making sure we all understand how grass grows. Okay, when was the last time you made grass grow? It says, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. In other words, God's word never returns void. And he uses the idea in a word picture. It's a word picture. It should get your imaginations intrigued. This isn't just a, a truth. This is more of a, a picture. There's difference, right, between reading something off the page and seeing a picture of something on the wall. Your brain has more fun or imaginative thinking happens when you're looking at a picture. Right? This is why I always love when you go to an art gallery and they're like, tell me what you think the picture's saying. Right? Don't ask me, because I'm like, dude, it's a painting. I don't, what do you mean, right? But the idea is to be invited into what that picture is trying to say. And so that's the same idea with the word picture is it's almost an invitation. And Jesus, with these parables, you'll see, especially with the sower, right? Some of us know the parable of the prodigal son. 
That's one of our favorite parables as a church, right? Parable of the prodigal son, the lost sheep. All these are great parables. But the idea is they're still, again, word pictures for us. So much we love to interject meaning into them, and they're simply word pictures. Jonathan MacArthur said it this way. He wrote a whole book called Parables. So there you go. But he says this, Jesus' parables were ingeniously simple word pictures with profound spiritual lessons. Profound spiritual lessons. Here's the third thing we'll say. Parables then are information that require meditation. Parables are information that require meditation. And if you want to make this a Dr. Seuss theme, you could say then it's in your imagination where there's transformation. So what, what the idea is, these parables are information that require meditation. You can read them at first surface level and say, I understand. But then you're going to be two days later walking your dog or hanging out with your child and you're like, you know, that parable was kind of wild. And it's going to then, again, invite you back into the story. And that's what the parables are meant to do. It's, again, it's more of an invitation into a story. And Jesus would do this, even what we'll see this week and the next week, is about the parable of the sower. God is likened into a, a farmer sowing seed. And there's seeds, there's different soils. We'll look at this next week. But the idea is there are very familiar things that Jesus will use to teach you and me. Right? The rain, like you see in Isaiah. Everyone need an example of what rain is? No, right? We all understand it. It's a simple concept, but yet you can put truth to it, and that's where it makes it complex. The second question we'll ask today is this. What the parables aren't? What the parables aren't? And now, just my little caveat here. I know that I look like I'm fresh out of Bible college, but I can say it has been a minute. And I will tell you that we do ourselves a disservice, typically with how we teach the parables normally. I don't say that because I have some profound truth. I think we just put the gospel on discount when we teach it to our children, of teaching them a parable, and there's a moral of the story. This is, what, this is exactly why the parable was meant to be told to us, so that way we know that we're not the 99, but God chose us. We're the one. All good. All good things. I just think it's putting the gospel on discount. That's the idea. And so what the parables aren't, because I think many times we've been taught what they are, and this is just me as a pastor trying to tell you, I don't think when you read the parables and when you even read what Jesus says about the parables, that that's just simply not true. And so don't take my word for it. Take the Lord's word for it. But here's what the parables aren't. The parables aren't a simple analogy. Meaning, they're not trying to clarify something. In fact, we're going to read here in a moment, it can be quite the opposite for Jesus telling parables. Oftentimes, it's how we tell it to our kids. The gospel, the doctrine of God is just so complex. So I'm going to use a parable. And it's going to help. This is why some preachers should not be always preaching doctrine, but they say preachers should be teaching more stories. It doesn't mean that stories are important, but that they, they can help illustrate something for us that doctrines can't. So again, parables are not a simple analogy. In your handout, Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clearer. I know some of y'all are like, wait a minute, that's exactly how I learned what the parables were. They're not taught to take, make things clearer. Meaning, ah, if you could just clarify for me, if you could just maybe explain this a little bit better, we might understand. For Jesus, and we're about to read in a moment, that is exactly almost the opposite of why he 
taught them. Let me read to you verses uh, 10, or excuse me, continuing from 10 into the next of our text. It says, Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he, being Jesus, answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Everybody loves secrets, right? Jesus is saying, To you it has been given. Continuing, But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. And we'll stop for just a moment. So Jesus himself has an intro, and he essentially has an outro of what he's trying to do when it comes to teaching the parables. Now, you just ask yourself as a case study here. Is it, does it sound like what we just read from Jesus himself, that things are more clear because of what he said? I would argue literally no, right? Because he even talks about whatever, even little they have, is going to be taken from them. So, so the idea is definitely not that they make things more clearer. Here's the idea. is Jesus wanted to provoke our imaginations and invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. What is God doing in the world? And the parables are a way or a window. Okay, if you want to see some, what's inside of something, right? Obviously, besides walking in the door, you can look through a window. And that's the idea of the parables are like a window for us to see what's actually happening, what's being translated today. But there are two different folks in this story. Did you notice it? It's you and them. It's you and them. Okay, so make sure you're on the same page as I am. So here's the second thing that the parables aren't. They don't contain hidden meanings. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Preacher, you better cite and source that one. They're not hidden meanings. Meaning, well, I mean, the way I read the parable of the prodigal son is that's like my dog, and I've got the... And you just start interjecting ideas. Or for some of you who are like, parable of the prodigal son, like, yeah, I know. Some people be squandering their money, and like, they're hanging out with pigs. And they interject the meaning into the pigs of like, you shouldn't be hanging out with the pigs. Okay, interjecting meaning. Okay, that's the idea. They're not, they're not hidden meanings. It's not some cracked code. It's not some Rubik's Cube per se that only a few can understand. I mean, I remember when my wife, and I wasn't going to share this, but might as well, right? I remember my wife, everyone loved Cracker Barrel. Okay, bad illustration, probably not going to land well. When you go to Cracker Barrel, there's a little thing on the table. You know what I'm talking about? A little triangle thing. Okay. And, and you got to figure it out, and you know what? It calls you silly names if you don't get it right, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Next time you go to Cracker Barrel, there you go. But I remember when my wife got a job there when we were in our young years, and she was doing, being a server, everybody that worked at Cracker Barrel gets taught how to solve that puzzle. So that way, if someone's at the table going, we don't know how to get it, the server can walk by. And... In other words, the formula is very easy to understand, and she could probably show it to you if we had a little example. Um, and if some of y'all have that on you, that'd be weird. But the idea is, it's the puzzle. Like, oh, speaking of. But the idea that it's not hidden. The formula is not necessarily hidden. You're just not aware of it. There's, there is a difference of what we're talking about hidden and just not revealed. There is a difference, I think, when it comes to the formula. Me and you are not science experts. It's not because we're just, you know, incompetent. It's because we just don't know. There's, there is a difference between hidden and being taught. And so they don't have contained hidden meanings. And last but not least on the, what the parables aren't, the parables weren't Jesus' only mode of communication. 
Well, you better cite and source that one too, right? Because you might be like, Matthew 13, 34, pastor, says all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And so scholars go back and forth. They're going, obviously, the Sermon on the Mount was not a parable. Blessed are the meek. That's not a parable. That was just a truth. That was a doctrinal truth that he was teaching. And obviously, even afterwards, we'll see Jesus continuing to teach But there is something that happens when he starts talking in parables. It is a difference in his teaching. And so they talk about this. This is most likely when you read your Gospels, like Jesus had roughly a a three-and-a-half-year ministry, and we do that by the Passovers. How many Passovers did Jesus celebrate? And they would argue that it was not until about year two that Jesus is going to start talking about parables. And this is what's interesting if you know the rest of the storyline of the Bible is is there's more more to, to salvation than just the Jews. Okay, the Jewish people. There's more salvation. The, the, the story we looked at a few weeks ago, all the way back in Genesis, is that one nation would be a blessing to who? To all nations. Right. And so we ask ourselves, how is that going to happen? And so again, they're not Jesus' only mode of communication. They go back and forth of just saying, in this moment, he didn't speak to them anymore about anything else but in parables. I already mentioned that there's about 40 parables in our New Testaments. But there are parables throughout the entire Bible, and we'll look at those in a few weeks. All right, moving on. What do the parables teach us? You ready for this? This is a pretty simple concept. All the parables are about the gospel. Now, you might be like, this is my first day into a church. What do you say? You got that word on the wall. What's the word gospel mean? It means good news. Okay, what's the good news? The good news is what's called the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that you and me are sinners based on how essentially we live. We love to tell God who's in charge. And God reminds us with the gospel that he is the one who has came to save and to die and to give us life. Amen. That's the idea with the gospel, okay? Um, there's a small little clap for that. That, that. That's helpful. But the idea is all the parables are about the gospel. Very, very simple concept that me and you should be able to understand as far as why does he tell the parables. And you'll even see this in the beginning chapters of Mark and other things where you'll see that Jesus himself is, is talking about the kingdom of God has come near, or is the kingdom of God is here. And so Jesus isn't necessarily just coming with the crazy concept. Jesus is coming almost like a king in his armor, ready to start something that has never been done before. And that's the idea of the kingdom of God that you and me, we cling to. This was inaugurated, that's the word for beginning something. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. Okay, all right. I see a little bit of foreheads. But all the gospels, or all the parables are about the gospel. And so when you see Jesus using a parable, he is wanting to show people what is the gospel. And he, what he does is he uses these word pictures to teach us about the gospel. That's my very pointed answer to that question, is what do the parables teach us? The gospel. That's their only purpose, to teach you and me the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. All right. Why, why did Jesus use parables? And this is, again, we already read this, of Jesus told us why. But what I want to do is look back here to the text. We'll look back to the text in Matthew 13 to finish out this section because what Jesus does is he's talking to his disciples. And the disciples are intrigued. They're like, hey, I like stories, right? If you're a communicator for your job, they say, use illustrations. Illustrations are the best way to communicate. That's just what they say. And so even with Jesus' closest disciples, he's using stories. And let's pick back up what he says after he says verse 13. Starting in verse 13, we'll start there. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, 
and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That says, and this is Isaiah 6. This is, you got to think about where this is happening in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has a vision where he's literally in the temple of the Lord. And smoke fills the temple. He can see the train of the Lord, the dress of the Lord. And Isaiah is saying, I shouldn't be here. I'm a sinful man. I shouldn't even be here. And he is being told the secrets or being revealed the kingdom. And this is what Jesus says when he grabs that story from Isaiah 6. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this person's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Listen how he closes out his discourse. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Again, this is Jesus' teaching about the parables. It's a parable about the parables, almost in some regards. But he uses the prophet Isaiah. And this is what we're going to talk about a little bit of why did Jesus use parables? Why would he use stories? Why wouldn't he just, you and me love lists. Just Why didn't Jesus give us a list? Do these ten things, right? And then if you follow them, then you'll be fine, right? And you're like, well, I think he tried that, right? He actually gave him a list of 613 laws, right? And how'd that go for him? Right. So the idea is for us is, is, is we know that there's more to these stories. And Isaiah himself, and we'll look at this next week, there's more there for Jesus using what the prophet would be saying. Because, see, what's a prophet's goal? If you don't know this, what's the prophet's goal? It's judgment and hope. Hope in a coming judgment is a good thing in the Bible. Me and you, we think judgment's a bad word. Judgment is not a bad word. Judgment means God is righteous. That's a good thing. We serve a righteous God. That's a good thing, right? But the idea is, as you and me, it's, it's judgment and hope. And that's where Isaiah has his profound speaking in Isaiah 6 that we now see Jesus using here in this text. So why, again, did Jesus use parables? And this is what we're going to say, is Jesus was, again, inaugurating the kingdom of God. What was the storyline of the Bible leading to? Right? You have Abraham. We started about that a few weeks ago. We have Abraham being a blessing, right? And we have other nations in the Bible. We're not the only, Jews were not the only people in the Bible, Right? And the idea is one nation would be a blessing to the whole nation. How'd that go for him? Right? Slavery, right? Exile. Just a lot of bad is what happened with that. And the idea is the story's still going somewhere. But where's the story going? And the parables help to illustrate where's the, where's the story of God in the world going? And we believe, especially in the first chapters of the Gospels is we believe the story of God is continuing now through the works of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the idea and concept. So when the prophets are speaking to the nations, calling the nations out in judgment and in hope, they're saying you need to understand that God is a just God and a righteous God. And that is a good thing. Your God loves you. He is righteous. He is willing to do things for you that no other God is willing to do. And they all essentially, all throughout the Old Testament, are pretty much testing the waters of going, but how much does he really love us? Until he comes to Christ. And then that's when the perfect man, the sinless man, enters into humanity and lives. And he teaches. He has a following. And everyone around him says, why does he talk like that? 
He uses authority like I've never heard before. And this is the idea of why would Jesus do this? Why, why would Jesus use parables? It's because he was understanding his hearers that they wanted this coming kingdom. Me and you, we long for when death has no more power. I hope you know that's a Christian hope of ours. That disease and addiction and all the things that plague our families, we believe that there is a day when all of that is gone forever. Okay. And so that's the idea is the story is being picked back up through Jesus. So the idea is Jesus used parables to reveal the kingdom of God. To reveal the kingdom of God. There is tons of different scriptures that we could go with this. I'm going to read to you just a few because I think they're helpful. I'm going to do the first one in Hebrews 1. And there's, a, I believe, a correction potentially on the screen that, I, that was totally my fault. Preachers make mistakes. You know that, right? Am I allowed to say that? Okay. Hebrews 1. And I want you just to hear exactly how the, the author of Hebrews starts this letter. And I want you to think about that the parables reveal... To us, the kingdom of God. They reveal something to us that, that we didn't know before and now we know. And I want you to listen to how this author writes it. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And we could keep on going, but you get the ideas. For, for, for the author here of Hebrews, he's trying to tell the people, Jesus is the guy. He's continuing a story that the prophets and the religious and the righteous long to see. He's it. And you would think, okay, so Jesus is going to go and hang out with the really religious people, right? And what's he do? Almost the exact opposite. And that's the idea when we see in just Hebrews chapter 1. Then we'll look at Hebrews 3. This is where there might be a typo. So it's Ephesians 3. And I'll just read this little, little brief here. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promised in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through the gospel. There's that word that we, me and you, we love to try to articulate, but when Paul uses it, there's, there's something different there. This mystery, what is the mystery? It's being revealed through Jesus. And then lastly, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I even saw one of you share it this morning on your Facebook because I'm a weirdo and see that stuff, and it made me happy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. And I just want you again, that, that why does Jesus use parables? Okay, remember that's the question. We're not just doing this for no reason. It's to reveal the kingdom of God. Okay, listen to how Paul writes to the church then in Corinth. Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, 
nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Hear this beautiful story, these things. God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What a beautiful picture of what's being done here in the gospel. We have received not the Spirit that the world gives, but the Spirit of God. And it's through Jesus revealing the kingdom it's by the Spirit's power that me and you even see its beauty. Hey, here's, here's a newsflash. Not everyone in this room sees Jesus the way you do. Surprise. They don't see religion the same way you do. Maybe not see church, the building itself, the way you do. And this is the, the reality that I think oftentimes, especially as Christ followers, we, the idea that we have is, is that it's by the Spirit. And we have to come to, to grips with this, that you didn't do it yourself. I love you. I really do. You're not that smart. I'm not that smart. So, so the idea is when, you, when we come into a place like this and we think all I got to do to believe is like, if you show me A, B, and C, maybe D, right? Might be thinking of Gideon when you're thinking of this. But like, if God does all these things, then I'll believe. And the idea is the Spirit's going to reveal things to you. Whether you are, you know, you got a, a welcome sign or not in the idea. So the last thing I have here is this. How should we respond to the parables? How should we respond to the parables? Jesus is talking to us in parables. We have this beautiful story that, and these other parables as well. So how should we respond? We are called to reflect on what's been revealed. It takes reflection. This is the beauty of the parables. Is they make you stop. And they make you think. And they make you go, I need to take a walk. right? I need a cup of coffee. Or tea, if that's your thing. But you, you need to take a moment and just think about what you've heard. Because you don't want to rush out too quick. This is what we do a lot of times on Sundays, just being real. We, we come in and we hear a quick lesson and then we leave. And by the afternoon, we're like, what did he talk about again? We love to get information, but the parables aren't just simply information. They're information that require meditation. And that's where me and you, we have to go home and chew on these things. Even with our kids, we tell our kids these beautiful stories when they're in their in their bed, right? And it's beautiful. And they laugh and they giggle. And then you walk away going, man, that was for me. It's the beauty of the parables is there's no audience that they exclude. So we're again recalled to reflect on what's been revealed. There was a quote here by C.J. Mahaney. And this is what he says. Never be content with your current grasp of the gospel. The gospel is the life permeating world-altering, universe-changing truth. It has more facets than a diamond, and its depths man will never exhaust. Friends, you are never going to graduate the gospel. You're enrolled for your lifetime, if that's the life you leave. So what I want to do, and you might be asking yourself, what is the reflection? What do we do here? Well, this is the beautiful part about the kingdom of God being revealed through the parables. We get to now see what others have heard. Think about that. 
we get to see what others have heard. We're going to see baptism being revealed to you and I. That person was their understanding of the kingdom. It's the beauty of seeing what they heard. And so for some of you in the room today, my question to you is this. Do you hear it? Do you see it? When you see someone be baptized, when you see someone reading scripture, singing worship, being prayed with at the altar, do you see it? But he who has ears, hear, Jesus says. These are the things that Jesus would say to his audience. And instead of dropping a banger, right, he would just leave them in confusion and dip out. There's a lot of, lot of, lot of language there that I probably shouldn't have used. But, <laughs> but that's the idea is, is, is what you would think Jesus is going to say, he typically ever does. And I think that should draw us in, not push us away. That should draw us in. And that's what we're going to do with baptism today as well. I want to do this just, for, just to set the tone to give you an understanding of where this next element comes from because I think the best answer to that question is very much what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus is about to leave his resurrection, go into ascend with the Father. Holy Spirit's going to come and equip the disciples to do mission. And this is what he says. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And church, that's our, that's our promise from the Lord, that he will be with us to the end of the age if we see it and we hear it, the beautiful gospel that he's given to you and me. So that's what we get to celebrate here in a few moments. So would you join with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for teaching us, teaching the simple, <laughs> teaching those that oftentimes we catch little phrases here and there. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to, to show us your gospel, the gospel of Jesus. Many of us in this room today, we, we live by a message that's just simply not true. We live by the label of who we've put on ourselves or what others call us. We live by the gospel of our finances or the gospel of our relationships where my relationships only say that I'm never worth it. Lord, your gospel, we declare in this place, has all authority in heaven and on earth. And so, Lord, we give you honor, we give you praise. And, Lord, we give you honor to see what we're about to see together. Lord, I pray for us as a church, as we see these folks being baptized, that there's nothing special about the water, but, Lord, you are, what you've done in their hearts is so incredibly special. So, Lord, let us see it. Let us feel it. Let us hear it. Let us hear and see and feel your gospel today, Lord. Breathe life into the dead. Let the blind spiritually see today. Let those who are so angry with you, Lord, that they're yelling they can't even hear you. I pray that you silence that in a way that's loving like, like only a father could, only a parent could. You give us calm. You give us comfort. You let us know that you care. Lord Jesus, what an amazing story. That's so much more than a story. It's our lives. And so thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel, for your church, and for your people. We love you, Jesus. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen.